everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Beyond the Queue, a brand new podcast by Stonely that looks at the human side of customer support leadership. Customer support is a people business, and leaders who embrace that will build happier teams that lead to happier customers, more revenue, and all around better businesses. I'm your host, Meredith Metzger, and this week I'm excited to welcome Josh LaMarche, the Director of Customer Support at Gong. In this episode, I talk with Josh about how a people-focused mindset completely changed his career trajectory, the first three things he did as a new support leader at Gong, and how he celebrates his team and customers. So one thing I wanted to talk to you about is your impressive career in customer support. I mean, you've been in this field for over 20 years, from what I could tell from your LinkedIn profile, working across different industries, different companies. And I'm curious, what are some of the most interesting changes or the big shifts that you've seen in your in your career? Full transparency, support was not my plan A. I have a background in computer science. I loved the creative aspect of coding and really thought that was going to be my career. Not to disparage any coders out there, but I found as I got into the real world that it wasn't quite as creative as I thought it was going to be. It felt to me a bit more like an assembly line of fix this you know, bug or add this feature. And so I really uh, kind of landed in support as kind of a role where I could have one foot on the technical side and, and do some coding and understand some of the technology, but also see how it really impacts people and how it adds value to them over time. And that ended up being kind of my sweet spot. It was not the plan A, but it ended up being kind of the the best of both worlds for me. You know, early in my career, I really wanted to grow in leadership for all the wrong reasons, um, frankly, and found that I, kind of early 20s, that I really wanted to kind of grow, you know, in terms of title or compensation or accolades or praise. And kind of around 25 or so, I called it my quarter life crisis, where I really just kind of came to an existential crisis of just realizing that that I was doing it for all the wrong reasons and that that was not at all fulfilling. Through a series of events, just found that my true calling is really kind of caring for people, right? When I'm solving technical problems, it's super interesting. And at the end of the day, though, it's it's ones and zeros. There's always going to be some sort of solution. I think what I found as I grew in my maturity is that it was far more fulfilling to invest in people the problems are far more challenging. It's kind of like an onion. There's a lot of layers there and there is no perfect solution, but the impact is far, far greater. Um, you know, instead of a, a good product release or a good quarter or a good year, I mean, you're impacting someone, their entire career, their livelihood, their, their quality of life. And that is what over time just attracted me significantly more than any technical challenges. And so that's actually, when I came to that point, of realizing that I was just totally wrong motives and kind of laid that expectation down is really when leadership opportunities started coming to me uh, without me pursuing them, actually. And I actually would start turning them down like, oh, no, I don't want to have the wrong motives. You know, that was a, a really pivotal time for me in reorienting my focus off of me and my title or compensation or, 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 or accomplishments and onto others in that and just the, the greater fulfillment that comes from that. Well, it seems like you found your sweet spot then, you know, managing a support team. So you get to work with people in that regard. Plus, I mean, the whole role of support is to help other people use your product. So it seems like the perfect intersection of your interests. 
Exactly. I think to me, when I'm talking to people about technical support, it, um, this is a people business, right? This is people helping people. And we can't lose sight of that. You know, I, I tell anybody I work with having that mindset that, you know, the, the customers write our paycheck. And technology is exciting, and I, and I love being able, and I've had the opportunities to, to work with various technologies uh, from enterprise software to IoT to mobile to different things, now SaaS. Um, that's all very interesting. But ultimately, at the end of the day, this is a people business, right? And, I, and that is so key to have that perspective to, to stay in technical support long term. You know, if, if I view it as a ticket to close out or a problem to solve or a thorn in my side, that starts to kind of pollute my view of the role and of this industry. And so um, that's been so key to me is understanding that there's a person behind every question that's coming in. And when I'm interviewing candidates for those positions, I look for that people-centric perspective, that level of, of empathy, of awareness, because that to me is primary. I can teach the technical skill set. I cannot necessarily teach that, that, that customer viewpoint, that, that care for people that comes through in every interaction that folks have with, with support teams. In your time working in support um, over the last 20 years, has that value for empathy, that caring for people, has that been a constant or has that been more of a recent trend? I think it, it's been a growing theme. So I, I mentioned kind of the evolution there in my mid-20s and just kind of a, a, a care for people that impacted me. And, and then it's been, a, it's been growing ever since then. And I think that, you know, for example, at Gong, right, one of, one of our operating principles is to create raving fans. And you hear a lot of companies talk about raving fans. And, and I've seen a lot of folks, you know, pay lip service, but few back it up. And with, with actions like Gong does. And so when I think of raving fans, I think of its customers and employees, right? And that's what brings me Fulfillment is being able to add value on both sides of that of that equation. So to me, it's been it's been growing over time, but has been immensely fulfilling. Right? I think we all go through uh, seasons where we write down kind of our core drivers, what motivates us, no matter what role we're in across our careers. What are the kind of the the key aspects to those roles that need to be in common for us to really thrive? And and for me, impacting people is one of those core values. Right? I, I can't get away from that. That is far more fulfilling than any task to check off or any great quarter or great year financially, those are all great things. Um, and I view those as basically opportunities to invest in people even more as growth uh, increases, as revenues increase, profitability increases, that gives me more options to care for people well, both customers and employees. There's been moments where I have been forced to connect the dots in terms of viewing customers as people, right? And, and you know, examples that, that come to mind, I, you know, are, you know, earlier in my career having a, a couple of very difficult customers that at the time I was a member of the team and people would, would avoid uh, talking to them and it became, you would kind of generalize them or label them and kind of avoid them. And, and there were kind of two examples that come to mind. One is where this was kind of the, the one that submitted the most volume, hands down, constant volume, just one individual. And it was a, a somewhat uh, less strategic account, but nonetheless wanted to find a creative way to work work through it. And so ended up, this was a, a customer based in Detroit, ended up flying to Detroit and saying, hey, let's let's go out to lunch, just you and I, and let's just talk. Not as how can I stop you from contacting us, um, but how can I get to know you better as a person? 
and learned all kinds of things in that process that I was able to bring back to the team and say, hey, here's the bigger picture here, right? For the account, here's the bigger picture for the customer. And it really changed the dynamic with that customer. And yes, volume dropped over time, but that was because there was a level of trust that was built between myself and the customer and our team and the customer that ended up uh, uh, helping in that regard. And, and one other example that comes to mind is, you know, a, a similar customer that again, uh, uh, it's easy to think negatively if you're just handling tickets that are coming in and viewing them so simplistically. And it was a customer who was very, you know, emotionally volatile. And as I committed to working with this customer at that time, this is many years ago, but found out that they had been recently diagnosed with cancer. There was other aspects going on to their life that were profoundly impacting their day-to-day. -day. And I think when we don't pause and really get to know who we're working with, we lose out on being able to provide more value and actually invest in those relationships and, and then bring those back to the team and say, hey, this was a person, not a ticket, right? This was a, a challenge they were going through and tie that back to, hey, I've had tough times, you've had tough times. Let's, let's approach it from that perspective. So some of those examples have helped kind of humanize the experience for me and for my teams at the time and really increase the, the level of satisfaction with the role. That this isn't just solving a technical issue. This is really impacting someone's potentially their, their life in, in, a, in a difficult season. Yeah, Th those are really great stories. Thanks for sharing those. It kind of helps give me some insight into why you have chosen support as your as your vocation really because i see a lot of people get into support they work for four or five years and then they go to they go to a different field so it seems like this this connection this building trust this investing in those relationships that that has played a really major role in the longevity of your career in support yeah it absolutely has and if i had the same attitude i had when i started i would have burned out as well Right, I had to evolve over time and to have a different perspective. And also, I think that that key moment of when you move from a, a peer to a manager of your former peer group—that's such a, a critical juncture there. And I think what helped was having served in each of those roles that I would then be managing that gave me credibility that I wouldn't have otherwise had. And so, being able to bring that into every leadership role that I've had the privilege of serving in is that when I, when I hire people, when I promote them, when I train them, I've done the work that they have done. I don't know all that they know, certainly, um, but I've done the core roles at maybe tier one or tier two or tier three or escalations or field support or, um, and, and, and that has allowed me to have credibility in, 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 in moving into a first time manager role and then building that over time into other roles as well. And so I think that's a powerful part of, of my story. And it actually is motivates people as well when they join my teams as, as a, let's say a junior in a junior capacity. It's like, look, I started where you were, right? They, they barely hired me at the time because I was interviewing for a different role in my, in my first job and, um, but kind of a foot in the door. And then you just build that credibility and look for ways to add value and differentiate yourself. And then ultimately when I made that pivot into it's not about me. There's just so much health in that perspective. And, and it's just been a joy to, to, to continue to work in the field and, and not burn out because you wake up every morning knowing that I'm here to care for people, not crush this cue or get rid of this pain in my side. 
you know, but but really to to invest in these relationships long term, both employees and customers, has you know, I think it gives me a lot of satisfaction and keeps me engaged for the long term. Cool. Yeah, I, I want to just kind of like reiterate that, and emphasize this for our, our viewers too, because I think that that shift in mindset that you were mentioning is really important. So for you, it kind of started out as being focused on the technical side of things, crushing the tickets, moving up the ladder and those kind of things. And then once you shifted your mindset to focusing on the people, like learning about them, understanding that it's a people serving people uh, type of role, it seems like that was the game changer for you. Is that is that accurate? That is that is one of the game changers. Yes, I think we're all evolving over time. And uh, but yes, that was a, that was a very meaningful pivot for me. But but, you know, there's still plenty of mistakes, right, in terms of remember the first manager job, you know, going into my one on ones with this stack of data, you know, because I, I came from a technical support background. So very thorough. Let's collect data. I quickly learned that that was profoundly demotivating to people to, to and realizing that there were people were motivated by different things. And it's not a square peg into a square hole. You need to be able to adjust and get to know people. And there's lots of tools out there now, disk profiles and and many other things where you can kind of know yourself and know other people. But that's been really helpful for me and be able to adapt my approach in a way that motivates, uh, uh, doesn't demotivate. And so, you know, that's been a a meaningful part of my adjustment as well. Yeah. And and speaking of of adjustments, so I know... Uh, we talked earlier about how you're relatively new to Gong. I think you've been there four or five months now. You know, having experience starting in new roles um, throughout your career, what are some of the first things that you do when you start a new job, um, especially at a place like Gong that is just growing like crazy? That's a great question. So, you know, and I think what makes this more complex is COVID, right? You're, you're starting a, a job, you're, you're interviewing for that job fully remote. You're joining with a team fully remote, trying to build credibility, having not physically met anyone. And I, and I realized through that experience that so much of relationships, interviewing and onboarding, the facial expressions, the words being spoken are only a small percentage of reading a person. And, you know, I, I realized through this that I was, I had to pivot as well. I, I, I use, I read body language. I look at posture. I look at clothing. I look at there's very different data points you collect when I'm interviewing somebody or when I'm being interviewed by somebody. And um, to have that kind of all go out the window was was pretty unique. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was a different experience for me, but it was incredibly valuable. And it forced me to um, almost like someone who loses one of their senses, maybe, you know, they, they, they lose sense of hearing or sight and the, their other senses adapt to compensate you, we've had to do the same thing with, with interviewing and 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 getting to, to to building trust and rapport in a virtual setting has been challenging, uh, um, but incredibly valuable. And so, to your to your question in terms of where do I start, you're always walking into a set of challenges, some of which you know, some of which you don't know, and it starts with first and foremost listening. And I don't I don't say that tritely. If I come into a role and try to say, hey, I've got these great ideas, and I've got this backpack of success that I'm going to just drop in your lap and we're just going to, you know, wash, rinse and repeat and do the same thing. That motivates no one, first of all, um, because what worked over here isn't going to work over here, nor does it motivate to come in and say, my idea is the best way and here's what we're going to do. For me, it's you have to come in and first and foremost, listen and earn the ability to speak. When working with my new team, 
um, which they're amazing, by the way. It's it's been primarily a, a, a learning process. So so talking to them individually, talking to them in a group setting, um, employee engagement survey, talking to peer leaders who have known this team in the past, talking to um, just as many people as I can to collect information uh, to, to really understand where the pain points are and not jump to making assumptions. And I think that uh, I move fairly quickly, which I think tunes me well to startups. My last company as well, I had the pleasure of serving, um, scaled very, very rapidly. Um, you know, it was ended up managing a team from 15 to over 100 in 18 months, right? So being able to not just view it as a process, again, but the people behind it is hugely important, but that comes ultimately through listening and, and earning the ability to speak, not assuming that because of my title or position that I, I have the ability to speak. That would be the place that I start. And, and, then, and then secondly, I think if, if I'm looking, it's okay, you know, if, we, if we, we need to look now where we're going. So for example, when I joined Gong, I was asked to, to present to the senior leadership team a month after I joined of what's my vision for the next year, right? That's pretty, uh, 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 it's a short timeline to try to understand here enough to be able to kind of project over the next year. But that's super important for me. And I was glad that they, they gave me that challenge because we love to follow a strong vision, right? And if there is no vision, we, we burn out quickly and we look for other things that are shiny or, or, or interesting. And so I think that there's power in a clear vision. And um, that was really fun to do is to be able to kind of pull some data points, talk to the team, look ahead, look at our revenue forecasting, our growth projections, and build out this broader vision that the team could buy into and feel that they all were a contributor to that vision as well. So I think those would be kind of the first two places that I start. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I would love to dig in a little bit deeper on some of those things. I think you kind of touched on how you listen, but can you tell me a little bit more about like tactically how you go about doing that? Especially when we're all remote, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Time matters. Um, you know, when I think of a parallel, I, I have three children. Um, I'm not equating my team to children, but um, but basically, though, in relationships, there there's no replacement for 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 quantity of time. If, if I'm with my kids for you know five minutes in a week, there's a even though if it's high quality time, let's say the quantity isn't there, and, and the relationship suffers. Right? Similar with my spouse or, or other relationships, and so the same applies with with leadership. Is that nothing can replace time? If I rush into task mode without first building those relationships and bringing those people along with me into this greater vision and the milestones to, to accomplish that vision, I've lost them and I've lost the ability to lead, frankly. If there's no followers behind me, I'm not leading, no matter what my title is. My approach tactically is to you know, set up a cadence of, you know, first of all, people want to know what to expect, especially with new leadership. And so, okay, we're going to have weekly one-on-ones and here's going to be the, the general template for that. We're going to have weekly all-team syncs, and here's the general agenda for that. We're going to have monthly or, or, or quarterly uh, team awards and recognition, and here's the cadence and expectations for that. And then deliver on that and be consistent there, which is hard to do, especially when you're brand new coming in. Do what you say and start to build this consistent set of expectations that reduces the level of fear and chaos in a team with a new leader so that they can focus on the higher value tasks 
I think that that's been super helpful is just call out, you know, be, be direct about, yes, there's a sense of, of, of fear and unknown here. Let's deal with that head on and let me help build the confidence so we can set that aside so that you can focus on what you were hired to do and what you love doing instead of wondering what I'm going to say next or what the next change is going to be or what the next gotcha is. And so really that's so key tactically. So for communication is that consistent cadence, doing what you say and, and executing against that cadence. Um, setting expectations for what each cadence will will do and what value it will add. And I think lastly would be, I, I learned long ago, I tried when I was younger to compartmentalize my life and, um, you know, okay, this is be my, my work self and my home self and my whatever family self and learned that that was just a, a recipe for disaster. Uh, and, and suddenly I'm being fake or trying to suddenly, you know, how what I say and how I live is is diverging, which is a very dangerous place to be. And so um, really had to tear down those walls of compartmentalizing and just be like, look, this is who I am uh, um, and realize that my personal life heavily influences my professional life. And ultimately, you know, nobody wants your professional self anyway, right? I mean, what builds credibility is authenticity. And, and so that, that's been super important is when working with my team or, or is is getting to know them as people, not just producers, you know, and building that credibility and you know, ultimately the things that happen outside of work are oftentimes more influential than what happens inside of work. And so recognizing that, again, when I was a new manager, I remember when I would see performance issues and I would quickly jump to, okay, how do we fix this, right? Rather than how do we understand first? And so often I would find as I matured that, oh, the, as I mentioned with that customer example, right? There's something else going on outside of work that's profoundly impacting work. And let's go deal with that, right? How can I support you in that, right? Even, even during COVID, right? Having members of my team going through profound challenges and recognizing that, uh, asking questions, trying to help. How can I encourage you? How can I, you know, can I, you know, if there's a, a if you've suffered a loss, how can I send flowers or have the team support you or give you time off or just caring about them as a whole person? Um, looking for opportunities to serve them as a whole person, not jumping to conclusions, listening first are all, maybe this is you know going beyond your question, but these are all to me, tactical ways to, to build that rapport and, and communicate well when you're, especially when you're new in a role. Yeah, I love that. And I, I remember seeing, I think it was Devin Reed's post about like, no one wants the professional version of you. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. And I think that Gong and Gong's employees do a really nice job of that, at least from what I can see from like LinkedIn posts. Um, I, I think I, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's sorry to interrupt you. That, that's been a, a differentiator for me as well, coming to Gong. There's a lot of reasons I came, but one of them is just the the love for, for celebrating people and the encouragement to, to be authentic. Again, a lot of companies talk about that, few back it up. And just the way that Gong celebrates its people you know, even just having this this conversation right now, you know, I chatted with um, some folks and said, hey, anything you want me to say or not want me to say, you know, and their answer was, do yourself, no notes, no script, just walk in, have a good time. And that's so unique because I've been at companies where I've been prepped and someone coaching me and here's a script and here's what, don't go here, but go here and maybe hit these key points. No script, right? And I even told you this before the call. I said, I don't want to know what the questions are because I want this to be authentic. So again, that's rare for companies to celebrate their employees and celebrate living their authentic selves and all that that means and bringing their whole self to work 
and letting that shine in whatever the way that looks like. And that is such a motivator. You know, as I've grown in my career, I used to chase money and, and title, as I mentioned, but there are so many other factors that are so much more rewarding. Of course, you need to pay the bills. I'm not denying the importance there, but I mean, the culture, who you, uh, who you report into, uh, opportunities to impact other people, ability to be creative, to innovate, to take on new things, to make mistakes um, and, and learn from them, right? These are all things that are so much more important at the end of the day to, to kind of long-term health. Yeah. So being a, a support leader at a company like Gong that just really promotes celebrating your employees, how did you kind of bring that value to some of those initial one-on-ones where, you know, you as a new leader, you're trying to listen, you're trying to get to know your team um, and still bring that kind of people first mentality uh, to those meetings? I think something that we talked about, I think before this a little bit, Meredith, was that support is 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 often the underrated or the 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 underdog in a sense compared to other groups in a company. It's easy to fall into that trap. And so I think that another aspect here is to build pride in what we do. You know, there, there's so many members of my team, past teams that have come in viewing support as a stepping stone to the next thing, whatever that next thing is. But to instill a sense of pride in the work that you do and the value that you're adding and you're, you're, you're driving the business forward, you're impacting customer relationships, you're driving revenue expansion. And that's, that's such a key aspect to remember. For a, You're not just answering a call or, or solving a ticket, you're moving the business forward and you're affecting the reputation of the company over time as well, which when you're, especially in a hyper growth phase is super important is to delight customers and to you know, to, to scale ahead of your revenue growth so that you can continue to, to execute at scale and really prioritize those relationships, those interactions. In terms of one-on-ones and, and, and how we, we celebrate people, uh, again, it starts with listening. So again, I'm not coming into my one-on-one with an agenda of here's the five things you're doing wrong, right? It's first of all, how are you doing this week? What's important to you? Um, how can I help? How can I support you? Right? How can I remove obstacles? How can I remove roadblocks? How can I celebrate you? And then in terms of celebrating people, I, I do celebrate in one-on-ones to a degree. I, though, much prefer celebrating in group settings. So my kind of methodology is let's, let's praise in public and let's give constructive feedback in private, right? I, I really save much of the praise for public. So that will look like a Slack channel updates on a regular basis. That will look like how can we find creative ways to reward people, right? From maybe it's, you know, we have a quarterly award system that we started. We have you know, shout out to at company meetings, at exec meetings, to hear your C-levels praising uh, support people is so powerful because that top-down leadership, you know, having that support from the C-levels is supremely important. Um, and so hearing them celebrate the team and celebrate specific even support requests and how those were handled is so important um, to having that high view of, of technical support, the team, uh, the, the motion that we do, the, the value that we add, um, that's that's so important. So again, celebrate in multiple ways. No one ever calls support to say, hey, you're doing a great job. So part of my job is to kind of be the cheerleader in chief as well of how do we counterbalance that? How do we celebrate the wins and do that often and do it authentically? Not like, hey, Meredith, great job this month. But no, no, like Meredith, when you worked with this customer and you said these words, like that blew me away. Like you took the extra step. I didn't ask you to do that, right? So be specific and praise publicly. And then try to operationalize that as well, not so it feels inauthentic, but that so it can remain intentional because you move, life moves so fast that it's easy to overlook things, but put in place systems that celebrate, right? 
We're going to do this weekly, this monthly, this quarterly. We're going to have this budget to do this, this, and this. And also um, something that's been really unique is to, is to find ways to celebrate customers as well. Something that's pretty fun that I just launched with my team is we now have given my team a budget to send customers swag. Like who, who does that, right? One of our leaders had mentioned, you know, how do we create, he challenged the company to create magical moments across the entire customer lifecycle and look for opportunities to do that. And out of that, I pitched this, hey, let's get a budget for support and let's each person, I'm going to hold you accountable as a goal actually to go send swag out. Like, and, and let's do it in a variety of ways, not just if they're upset or had a poor experience, but maybe they're a raving fan already or just spontaneously go send something like that's been so much fun to celebrate customers as well. And I think having those incentive processes in place, both to celebrate your team and to celebrate the customers you're working with just creates that really human centric kind of motion that just spawns a lot of really healthy things and, and creates a lot of satisfaction. Hmm. That sounds like a really fun team environment. <laughs> And I love doing things like that too when I can. And, you know, from a marketing perspective, like if a customer has a baby, like send them a branded onesie, or if you know they're going to be moving soon, send them a DoorDash gift card, just something like we're all people here, just something to acknowledge their life outside of work. Yeah, I think one thing that, that Gong has has excelled out of, of other things, of course, but is, is being so disruptive, especially on LinkedIn, right? How do you mm-hmm. go against the flow? Because we all have our LinkedIn feeds and they're so boring, right? I mean, like you just scan and scan and scan and you scroll and there's there's not a lot there. Everyone's trying to posture and position themselves and, you know, the professional you and, and it just gets really old, right? And it just, it feels so fake. And I feel like Gong has, has intentionally been disruptive, dominates my feed even before I was an employee and looks for those authentic moments to, to inject joy or memorable moments or, you know, recently posting videos of celebrities talking to our customers on our behalf, right? That celebrities that, our, that we know our customers love, football players or other people. And it's so much fun. We're not just growing a business fast. We want to grow it well, right? This isn't a sprint. This is a marathon. And I don't want to be in a role where I'm just producing widgets on an assembly line, right? Like, how do I enjoy the people I'm with? How do I enjoy the people I serve? And give me the freedom and some budget to do that, to act on impulse and, and celebrate things. And that's so rare in my experience uh, in, in leadership, you know, not to name names, but there are other experiences of companies that will kind of, it's this race to the bottom of how cheap can I get support? How cheaply can I process a ticket? It results in this rush to the bottom and cutting corners to the point that it's just a call center and and a, a, you're just a clerk. In, in my experience, not no offense to anybody else, but it's just, it's very destructive and it, and, it, and it feeds that burnout culture and that cyclical burnout. But if you can really invest differently and prioritize uh, people and give level of creativity and give them autonomy and trust and let them make mistakes and let them grow their careers and do all these things that are kind of leadership 101, it's fun to work there. And yes, there's hard days. And I'm not saying every day Gong is, is you know, a walk in the park, but it creates a culture that you want to stay. You want to invest. These are people that you're partnering with for the long term. And uh, you're not just trying to get what you can get and then hit the next job. And so I feel like I've, I've spoke, I've over answered your question. But hopefully <laughs> no, no, that was great. I'm curious how, how you as a support leader advocate for that budget, advocate for support as being more than a call center. It seems like Gong in general is pretty open to that. But um, for any support leaders who might be watching, like, how do you go about doing that? How do you go about convincing the organization that they should invest in support? 
That's a that's a great question. Um, I've had a, a range of experiences in that area. Some good, some bad. One story I'll share. I won't give names, but I was able to bring a support team back onshore from being offshore, which was an uphill battle because the other groups in the company were doing the reverse. So if I, if I look at that as an example, I think of looking first of all at the entire cost structure. I think that people are are way too quick to assign costs to things without weighing the fully burden costs, if you will. So they're looking at just like salary of a person and looking at number of tickets they process, divide the two, there's your cost per ticket. That's, in my view, a gross oversimplification uh, of that. So I need to look at the things like the long-term value of an employee, right? If I, if I, I'm not just paying them to be a TSC one or something, right? I'm paying them to grow with us and add value over time. They're going to become, have that long-term view. This TSC one will become a two, will become a three, might become an SC, might become a, in the product team, might, there's lots of, maybe growing to leadership, adding value over time. People don't do that enough, in my opinion. So looking at the the long-term view of the value of an employee, instead of just the role that they're currently in, really fundamentally changes that math. Putting a, a high view of the customer experience and the real costs of that being impacted. All this ties back to revenue, obviously, in terms of how does high quality of support impact revenue? How does high quality of support impact the health of the organization? How does high quality support impact the morale, which if the morale of the team is poor, the support experience, the customer experience will be poor. So you need to start looking at these other costs really uh, before you make that decision. And then you can also get creative, right? There's ways to, you know, in terms of if you're looking at just costs, you know, for example, in one example, I was able to find uh, a region outside of the US that was, we were able to hire a direct team and hire other groups around that team that they could promote into over time as well. So plant other offices, direct offices, rather than just kind of rushing to a VPO or rushing to an outsourcer. There's other ways to do that, but basically my my answer would be that consider the whole costs. And if you ask, in my experience, typically it'll be a very simplified algorithm there and you need to look at ramp time, look at travel costs, look at the value of an, of an employee over the entire uh, time with a company, look at how do you quantify the value of an amazing support interaction versus a poor one. And all of those components kind of funnel down into a, a true cost. And then you have to make the decision of, you know, is this worth it or not? And for some businesses at certain growth phases, you know, if you're a mature company or if you're private equity, you've got different drivers. And you, maybe you're looking to throw off cash and you have to reduce cost. You, you have to look at the stage of the company. I'm not saying this applies to all companies in all stages, but I find particular satisfaction in being a part of high growth companies because they're really prioritizing the the voice of the customer and really willing to invest because they're looking long-term at our growth trajectory. And what is the cost of not delighting a customer in the long-term when you're on that trajectory? It's immense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe this is getting too in the weeds, but I'm curious, how do you quantify that voice of the customer or that customer experience in terms of revenue? So clearly you can look at things like, you know, how much revenue an account is bringing in. Um, You can look at the segments. If you start to segment your business like commercial and market enterprise, there might be different stories for each of those segments that you need to kind of weigh in. 
For example, larger accounts might be those banner logos that, you know, really drive exponentially more value than just that one, you know, sales interaction, for example. So looking at the revenue, looking at the segment referrals are huge as well, right? So, so looking at those relationships where you want to invest because they're more strategic than others, considering your, your growth phase, as I mentioned, in terms of there's going to be, it might be a little different value formula that you use depending on the growth phase that you're in. I think what really gives satisfaction among many things to a support team is seeing how they contribute to the top line objectives of a company. Too many support teams over the years have sat in kickoffs and tuned out because all the big objectives and the big initiatives didn't apply to them. I think that's a a profound mistake. And so seeing how their actions tie back to the top line drivers of a company, the revenue, the strategic objectives is super impactful. And so I'm kind of answering your question from the side of there's more than just numbers to look at um, when you're tying back to the value that support brings and having these cost benefit analysis conversations. Yeah, I don't want to go too far in the weeds there. There's I could we could talk data, but I think to go back to what I said earlier, to really impact the C level of your organization to invest is key. Um, no matter how much I shout from the rooftops, if I don't have their buy-in, their support. It's not going to go very far and the team will feel the discord between what I'm saying and what they're hearing or feeling from those above me. So that having that senior leadership, that C-level leadership that's invested in the customer experience, that's invested in the employee experience, the support experience, sharing wins at company kickoffs, and just that helps tremendously drive that consistency in message, consistency in how we fund perks, how we uh, arrive at benefits budgets for, you know, as we talked about different budgets for fun things, how we invest from a compensation perspective in our teams, where we choose to invest, right? Do we plant a team in the lowest cost area by themselves or do we plant them with other folks that they can learn from and grow their value over time? I feel like I'm just doing a quick summary here, but just there's a lot of ways that we can communicate the higher value, the strategic value that a support organization brings and each member of the support organization brings. And that fundamentally changes the formula for how we invest in support long-term. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And thanks for kind of summarizing that. I wish I could just keep digging in, but I I want to be respectful of your time here. So I think it's probably a good spot to start uh, wrapping up, but I have one last question that I've been asking Uh, everyone I've been talking to, but what advice do you have for up and coming support leaders? That's a great question. Let me think about that. So motives matter. Core drivers matter. I mentioned earlier that there are, as we look at, as as we kind of self-assess and we look at our own careers, there are certain fundamental aspects to every job that we need to really thrive. So understanding ourselves is, is first and foremost, because I've had people I've worked with that have rushed into a higher title or manager responsibility for the wrong reasons as I did early in my career. So I'm not faulting them, but knowing your core drivers matters because if you give them, even if someone is competent, if you give them that role, they're going to want to rush to the next role, the next role, the next role, because the role itself isn't satisfying to them. It's just the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And so my advice would be know yourself. There's plenty of tools to know yourself. You know, I've looked at different personality profiling. There's um, other examples we can you know, link to later, but um, it starts there. 
only once you know yourself. And again, you're going to give yourself permission to change over time. Your core drivers might shift as well, but, but know what's motivating you because ultimately, even if you get what you think you want, it's not going to make you happy. So know your core drivers. If your core drivers align with, you know, growing in leadership and support, and you have a good reason other than I want more title or more money, you know, the, the title and the money is just an acknowledgement of the end goal you're pursuing. It's not the end goal in itself. And then ask your direct manager, don't assume, ask for opportunities. I have often felt in my career that, oh, I don't want to bother somebody. You know, I don't want to appear like I'm, you know, egotistical or, 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 or think I know better than anybody else. And so I would let that at times silence me. But I would say, first, know yourself. Second, ask. Otherwise, nobody's going to know. You know, talk to your manager. Hey, like, this is where I'd love to be. What do you think? And then listen, because ultimately I've found throughout my life that there is wisdom in hearing what others have to say about me as well. That applies in my marriage. That applies in, with my children, my family, friend group, uh, workplace. There's wisdom in hearing others' perspectives um, about yourself. It might be hard to hear at times, but it's necessary. So know yourself, ask, um, ask peers, ask peer leaders, get, be open to other feedback. Um, that growth mindset is so key that, you know, you weren't born with a fixed set of capabilities. You were born to, to, to grow into many things, uh, with the right level of support. And so, uh, don't shy away from that, express interest, and then ask for opportunities to, to grow, right? Uh, for example, there's something that I'm working with my team on now that, hey, not everybody wants to just answer customer requests all the time. So finding ways to build in like focused project time. You know, one of the things I like to do is assign what I call areas of responsibility of where each person on the team also owns other things. They own maybe an operational aspect of the team. They own maybe a technical aspect of the product and giving them opportunities to develop their skill sets um, so that they can take on other things. Um, from a manager perspective, offering ways to lead projects and you know observe and see how that goes. Uh, offer maybe team lead opportunities that aren't formal, but maybe informal, but they can you know have the freedom to take on some new things. And if it doesn't work out, they're not getting demoted to go back to the old thing, right? It's, a, it's kind of a temporary role to give them opportunities to shine. So those are some of the, the, the tips that I would give um, for people that are looking to advance. And also just, I would encourage personal plug is, you know, support can be and is an incredibly rewarding long-term place to invest your career as well. You know, it, just in my time at, at Gong, I came in, there were two roles on the team. There are now over 12 roles on the team, right? So, so individual job positions that we're hiring for. So as a company grows, as a team grows, I like to use the analogy that, you know, a rising tide rises all boats. So don't think that the opportunities today are the only opportunities that there will be and then check out mentally, but think ahead, ask what the vision is and look for ways to add value to that vision and to the roles that will be generated through the execution of that vision. I'll stop. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And it's very clear that you are extremely passionate about customer support. And that's really fun to see. <laughs> well, Meredith, appreciate you reaching out. Um, this has been a great conversation and uh, here's to many more. That's all for this episode of Beyond the Q. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time.